This episode of the Security Ledger Podcast is sponsored by LastPass. For more than 47,000 businesses of all sizes, LastPass reduces friction for employees while increasing control and visibility for IT with an access solution that's easy to manage and effortless to use. From single sign-on and password management to adaptive authentication, LastPass gives superior control to IT and frictionless access to users. Check it out at lastpass.com. Hello, welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this week's episode of the podcast number 199. Passwords are so ingrained in everything that we do right now because it's it's this universal language of registration. It's this universal language of validate who you claim to be. That doesn't mean to say that enterprises have to stay on that route. The COVID pandemic has done more than scramble our daily routines, school schedules, and family vacations. It has also scrambled the security programs of organizations large and small. By shifting work from corporate offices to thousands or tens of thousands of home offices, and by affecting huge changes to the workforce itself through layoffs and furloughs. In this episode of the podcast... We're going to dig deep into a couple ways that that disruption is playing out. In our second segment, we're joined by Barry McMahon of LogMeIn and LastPass to talk about research that company has done on the password crisis facing organizations. Remote work, as well as the proliferation of web-based services, have spread enterprise security resources dangerously thin. But first... We've read a lot about the cyber risks of Zoom sessions or remote offices, but one of the less mentioned cyber risks engendered by COVID-19 are mass layoffs of staff from companies in sectors like retail, travel, and hospitality, whose businesses have been upended by the pandemic. Millions of Americans have lost their jobs since the onset of 2020, and if data compiled by our next guest is to be believed, Many of those departing workers are taking company data and intellectual property with them out the door. Shareth Ben is the executive director of field engineering at the company Securonics. Ben notes that evolving technologies like machine learning and artificial intelligence are making it easier to spot patterns of behavior that correlate with data theft. In this discussion, Shareth and I talk about Securonic's study on data theft and data loss, how common the problem is, and how COVID and the layoffs stemming from the pandemic are exacerbating the insider data theft problem. My name is uh, Shareth Ben. I'm the executive director of field engineering at Securonics. So Securonics is a next-gen sim and a UEBA company. Uh, you know, we've been doing this for the last 10 years. We started as a UEBA company. Even before that, we were looking at just identities and profiling identities and behavior. And that started to evolve naturally into looking at other types of log sources, such as email, proxy, endpoints, infrastructure. So in a sense, um, a next-gen SIM is has the standard traditional SIM capabilities plus the UEBA capabilities built into it. And, and also the SOAR capabilities for automation and so on. So that's that's our company in a nutshell. And Shareth, welcome to Security Ledger Podcast. Thank you, and ha- happy to happy to be here. So we're talking to you uh, because we're we're digging deep on the problem of 
insider threats and in particular the risk that uh, employees pose you know in in that period where they may have decided to move on uh, to another job or uh, are leaving or god forbid getting fired for some reason Securonix came out with a um, report on uh, insider threat behavior. This was uh, data that you had kind of aggregated from across your uh, customer base and analyzed, particularly around this issue. Could you kind of give us the high level on um, what that report found, some of the kind of high level takeaways from, from that report? Yeah, so let me start by answering that question. You know, what we've observed is that most often when an employee leaves a company, they end up taking some data with them, right? I think it is just human tendency to do so because the employee feels a sense of entitlement or ownership, especially if that particular artifact or document is uh, is something they worked on. Uh, So this has always been a, a problem. With respect to whether that particular action is is benign or serious, it really depends on the impact. For example, Let's just say an employee ended up taking an Excel sheet with macros built into it uh, so that they can be more efficient at the next job they go to. Is that a big deal? Yes or no? That depends, right? But let's just say you have a, a, a high-profile researcher who ends up taking with them the formula on how to make a leading drug and to the next competitor and then uses that for accelerating their time to market. Now, is that a big deal? Obviously, I think it is. So it's it's not just a matter of what they take, it's a matter of the impact that it actually has. And and who determines that is obviously, you know, the working group within each company has to determine that. So that's the HR legal and all these parties who need to come together to to have that kind of discussion. And and I think your your report found something close to like 30% of the data exfiltration, data leak. Uh, issues were in the <clears throat> pharmaceuticals uh, industry uh, that it was very highly represented there. I guess that could just kind of reflect Securonics customer base, but um, that would tend to suggest that uh, some of this activity is um, is not inadvertent or harmless. That uh, that there's actually uh, high value IP that is. Uh, That's right. Yeah, the reason why you're seeing uh, more cases from pharmaceutical companies and financial companies. It's only because they're looking. <laughs> uh, so this this type of problem is prevalent across across the board, right? But if you think about it, financial companies and pharmaceutical companies have a lot to lose uh, in 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 this regard, right? So they these companies have had established insider threat programs for a long time now, and they've also matured over time. So you're obviously going to see more incidents uh, in that in that regard. So for, for companies, let's say we've, we've got, uh, which I'm sure we do, uh, folks who are uh, managers uh, or executives or board members who are in the Security Ledger podcast listening audience, and they want to really get their arms around, you know, what, what is this constellation of behaviors I need to be attuned to and worried about? And if I spot patterns that seem uh, worrying, what do I do? Um, so let's start with the first one. What, what are some of the behaviors that uh, are red flags uh, as far as uh, Securonix has been able to determine? Yeah, that's, uh, there are all kinds of behaviors that we see in the field, but some of the ones that are notable and, and worth mentioning is that when an employee is about to leave, um, they exhibit a certain behavior, which becomes very, very evident in their email patterns, as well as their web browsing patterns. 
right? And so what I mean by that is uh, when an employee is about to leave, they're either sending out resumes, they are actually, you know, doing some research on how to write a, a cover letter, or they're also going to other job search sites and applying and so on and so forth, right? So yeah, it, it's not subtle, I mean, it's a I free guess. country. <laughs> Everybody is allowed to do what they want to do. The problem arises is that when there's a conjunction between that kind of behavior with some sort of a data snooping or data exfiltration behavior. And so that's when it becomes a problem, right? So what I would recommend is that, you know, look for those basic behaviors, which is the email browsing, I'm sorry, the email, external email behavior, as well as the web browsing behaviors. And there are some specifics that maybe I, I may get into trouble if I get into the details, but, um, you know, those things I would watch out for. And another thing we also notice is that you'll start seeing people, you know, downloading W-2s and tax documents, which are typically only available as long as they're within the company network, right? Uh, so there are these telltale signs that you can look for and and also look for any sort of data snooping and exfiltration behavior, which then amplifies the risk and warrants an investigation. So their behavior as an employee on the network really changes in that period where they've either um, you know, are looking for a job or even just have made the mental decision to start looking for a job. That's exactly right. And in some cases, what happens is the most straightforward way to do this, Paul, is that obtain a list from HR with respect to the upcoming terminations. And this can be voluntary and involuntary and then put them on a, a watch list and then start looking for behaviors. But in the lack of which, you need to rely on tools to be able to do this. And and this is this is kind of what I think is interesting, which is there's been a huge kind of evolution or or maturation in the tools. My sense is um, more and more, you know, we're we're seeing you know machine learning and so on be able to spot much more subtle kind of patterns of behavior than hey, somebody just tried to send this protected document. Yeah, let, let me talk about that. Right. So you did you did use this word called noise, and and that's very relevant here because. If you think about it, um, what these tools have allowed companies to do is to ingest very, very large volumes of data, very chatty data like proxy logs that gives you the web browsing behavior or email gateway logs that gives you any external email activity and, and several other log types, right? And I'm talking about like gigabytes of data a day. And once the, what these tools allow you to do is even before the machine learning aspect kicks in is to be, prepare the data for, for detecting nefarious behavior. So these tools have allowed you to take those large volumes of data and then basically process it and only extract what's relevant. And that's a data extraction stage and then make that available for the analytics to run. And when it comes to the analytics, what vendors are forced to do today is to is to be very precise in how they approach this problem. Uh, you know, you can't just apply ML as this data science approach or this sort of one size fits all approach. You're gonna you're just gonna get up end up with a lot of noise. So, what vendors like us are forced to do is to curate these use cases and know precisely what detection technique or algorithm to apply in order to derive a specific outcome. And uh, so on one end of the funnel, you know, you're, you're pumping in very, very large volumes of data, but after all the processing, your the output is in a very manageable size. 
because you also understand that we have the people of the staffing problem, right? You don't have all the, all the staff in the world to look at this. So you need to be very precise and very efficient in solving this problem. Indeed. The next question is, <clears throat> once, you've, once you've spotted some behavior that seems suggestive or worrying, um, uh, I guess maybe the bigger, messier problem is, what do you, what do, you do with that? And how do you um, build uh, internal processes around um, managing that information and, and acting on it? That's a very interesting question, a very important one, because I think uh, this is where a lot of uh, insider threat programs fail. Uh, because um, they assume just technology alone can solve this problem. I can tell you for sure this is just like anything else, uh, a people process and technology problem. And as a matter of fact, the, the process and the people aspects are equally, if not more important in this regard. And the reason why is that when it comes to insider threat behavior, it's never a a black or white situation, right? It's always a, a shades of gray situation, which, and what I mean by that is that you really need to have your policies and procedures uh, ironed out very clearly with all the concerned parties. There needs to be consensus by and large, I'm not saying in everything, between HR, legal, the working groups, the lines of business, and so on and so forth, so that when a particular nefarious behavior is surfaced, they know how to deal with that. And I've seen insider threat programs fail because that type of a policy and procedure wasn't ironed out in the first place. So, so they don't know what's right from right and wrong from wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and the companies that, that you see that are the um, most mature in this area, um, what, what types of things uh, are, they, are they doing when they spot, um, let's say, okay, here's somebody who, you know, has been updating their LinkedIn profile uh, on job sites, um, you know, working on a cover letter, and also they're uh, suddenly uh, grabbing, you know, reams of data from all over the place and uploading it to some Dropbox account in ways that are really different from the way that they usually behave. Um, what, 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 are the, what are the most uh, uh, mature companies doing in that type of situation? Yeah, before I answer that question, I want to touch on an important topic uh, of risk appetite, right? Which I'm sure you've uh, you come across, right? Where every company needs to decide for themselves what their risk appetite is. For example, on one end of the spectrum, you have companies who care about any small, uh, any any data that is that is branded that leaves the enterprise. On the other side, the risk tolerance is much higher, and they're willing to live with that. And why this is important is that when an event occurs, usually you'll have like a, a L1 team or the first, you know, the first responders who look at it, and and then analyze to see who this user is, you know, what is the title, what is their profile, what did they take, where did it go to, and once they think there is something serious, then they will bump up that case to the next level, and then usually at at that point. Um, someone senior or the program director gets involved and then they would involve the various uh, you know, working groups, which is HR, legal, and so on. And then they will decide to see if they should pursue that or not. Right? In some cases, what I've seen is that if the employees already left the organization, they would issue a legal letter to that uh, ex-employee stating that, hey, employee, by the way, we noticed that you took data with you. Uh, this is this belongs to you know obviously um, 
the, the enterprise. So we recommend that you delete, we not recommend, we ask that you delete the data and do not use it in any further uh, places. Uh, I've seen that happen, but if it's a continuing population, let's just say that person hasn't left the company, then, then they would obviously confront the employee saying this has happened and they would ask for a justification why. In a lot of cases, the you know what we see is that the employee would say, "Well, I did it because you know for for convenience or for ease of use, uh, right?" And that may or may not sit very well with the decision-making parties, and then and and further action is taken. In some severe cases, people are are let go um, because of the type of data and so on. In some cases, they they get a warning and they keep track of how many warnings somebody gets. In, in some cases, there's a three strike rule where after three times of warning, then they may end up taking some severe actions. Um, and, and you note in, in this uh, report Securonix did that um, you know, fl flight risk isn't, isn't the only insider threat, right? Um, you know, employees leaving and taking data with them that um, there are also risks posed by employees who are have no intention of leaving the company, but are um, kind of uh, abusing their access to the network in, in various ways. Can you talk about uh, some of the other kind of behaviors that, uh, that you guys notice that are uh, worrying or should be worrying for a company? Sure. So we at Securonics have um, aligned ourselves to the, the Carnegie Mellon sort model, and that model specifies that an insider threat program should have three legs to it. One is the detection and prevention of any sensitive data being leaked. Two is any privilege, uh, privilege account misuse. And third is fraud, right? Any, any, any action that results in direct monetary loss for a company. By the way, it's estimated between one to 7% a year. So when it comes to privilege misuse, as you can imagine, every large enterprise has endpoints, networks, uh, servers, and so on. And you have privileged users who are operating within these environments. We've seen in some severe cases that when an employee or a contractor is disgruntled, they will end up disrupting service by doing certain nefarious behavior. So that's a worst case scenario. But what we continuously observe is that these privileged users are circumventing controls that are in place for whatever reason, because it's easier for them to get their job do, job done, or they are misusing their privileges in some cases. Both these types of activities needs to be in check because one day if that person decides to go rogue, they do have the potential to cause severe damage uh, to the company. Well, it wouldn't be an interview these days if there wasn't a um, COVID question. Um, <laughs> of course. Of course. Um, but actually, for this interview, it's an entirely relevant one. I'm not stretching here at all, which is obviously, you know, COVID, the, the COVID pandemic has shaken up, um, comp you know, pretty much every company and the way that it works. Um, in, in a couple ways that I'm guessing probably you, you all are seeing in your data. One, of course, is the work from home. So the transition from people being in, in a physical office to working from home. Um, so I'm interested in how that either exacerbates or ameliorates, you know, data theft and data misuse as people are kind of scrambling to, you know, uh, set up an office remotely. The other, of course, is that there have been huge, huge, massive layoffs across industries um, and huge, you know, 
percentages of workforces just just um, put on furlough or laid off. Um, and and my guess is um, you're 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 seeing the um, signs of that in in employee behavior for a few people who have been laid off. Um, I'm guessing we're seeing a lot more kind of data grabbing as people head out the door. Yeah. No, your your points are absolutely valid. Let me answer your first question. Um, the first thing we noticed as soon as the um, this whole COVID pandemic situation hit, it was a, a surge in VPN activity, obviously, right? No prizes for guessing that. Um, and and because of that, uh, we started to see more um, more data uh, on remote login and. And also along with that came problems for security operations team because they had to loosen up certain controls so that they can enable their staff from to work remotely. And one particular example is, is printing, right? Before printing was restricted, but now they would allow people to print from home. But in some cases, what would happen is these print vendors allow you to do what is called as an air print, which means you can just send a file to a particular you know, something at hp.com or any print vendor. And then that's an easy way for you to just take data out. Maybe not maliciously with the malicious intent, but that is a, an area that is a, that is a, that is a gap, right? Um, so, so we started to see these different behaviors emerge uh, because of that. Another example I would say is we have a specific use case to look for, um, account sharing. And the way that we do that is uh, looking for a land speed violation, where when we see concurrent logins from two separate faraway geolocations at the same time, uh, that is an indication that somebody is sharing credentials and could be to a critical application, or it could, in worst case, it can also be a case of a credential compromise, right? And now that people are working from home, we shouldn't be seeing that, <laughs> right? It was a different case prior because people would travel, so they would come up with the business justification saying, hey, I was in London yesterday and today I'm in the US, whatever, right? But now people are stuck to their homes and anytime we saw something like that, that it wasn't a false positive, it was a true positive. So so we started to see different behaviors emerge uh, with, with the whole COVID situation, just to name a few. Uh, obviously when it- So that, cyber that indicator actually became higher fidelity in the context of work from home. That's precisely right, yep. And 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 what about again the the layoffs and the and the um, just the huge shifts in in the employee roles as companies have been forced to either furlough or lay off uh, large numbers of employees um, uh, that must put a huge strain on security teams to um, monitor all those people as they're walking out the door. Yeah, that, absolutely, Paul. So that situation I think is still unfolding as we speak. It is a developing situation. Um, you know, I can tell you in one instance, you know, some companies instead of obviously are furloughing employees, but they are also reducing pay where they're giving them pay cuts and then they're randomly selecting people to be on that list. And all these small changes done by companies are, are amplified, right? Because everybody's generally a little more sensitive these days to things, right? And, and so there is some fear and, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to lead to something nefarious, but I think what companies need to do is to elevate their monitoring capabilities and at least have visibility, if not detecting any advanced you know, issues. 
So uh, that's that's something that uh, we recommend, and we we're going to continue to see how that unfolds. Okay, so if folks are listening, and they're, you know, uh, maybe they're not as uh, on top of their employee behavior monitoring, uh, insider threat monitoring as they should be. Uh, where how can they get started here? Sounds like a monumental task. It is a monumental task, and and well, it it it, it can be depending on you know, how much you're willing to do and invest, just like anything else, anything worthwhile in life, right? Um, you know, what I can say for sure is the companies who have been investing in this uh, over the period of time before this thing, pandemic hit, are in a much better position today because they kind of have the 101 stuff already covered, right? Um, so, so it's important for companies to at least gain visibility into what is happening within inside your network. And especially if you're you know, using the cloud for any platform or infrastructure as a service, you need to have visibility to see where your data is moving. So that's number one, I would say, right? Um, so investing in a SIM is important because that's gonna, that'll allow you to bring in all the disparate log sources into a centralized tool so you can gain that visibility. And that's the way to do it. You know, before, Everything was looked at in a piecemeal fashion, but that doesn't cut it given the pace in which we're moving, the businesses are transforming. So you need to be able to centralize the logs and gain that visibility um, to, to, to basically monitor for this type of behavior. I feel like the issue is that companies struggle to deal with this problem because they don't know where to start. They think it's, you know, the Nirvana state is too too difficult to accomplish. But I can tell you one thing for sure is every successful insider threat program I've seen started small, started with some basic data, with some basic indications, and slowly built that over time by gaining more visibility and gaining more in, uh, evidence to go to their management and make the case to to, to develop the program. So, so I would say every company who's thinking about doing this, uh, that is a way to do it, and and starting starting with the basics is is just the way to go. Jarvis Ben of Securonix, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on Security Ledger podcast. Thank you for having me, Paul. My pleasure. Sharath Ben is the executive director of Insider Threat and Cyber Threat Analytics at the firm Securonix. Up next, nobody likes passwords, but getting rid of them is harder than it seems. Even in 2021, usernames and passwords are part and parcel of establishing access to online services, cloud-based or otherwise. But all those passwords pose major challenges for enterprise security. Data compiled by LastPass suggests that that the average IT staffer is spending up to five hours a week just helping users with password problems, almost a full day of work. In our second segment, we're joined by Barry McMahon, a senior global product marketing manager at LastPass and LogMeIn. McMahon says that despite talk of a passwordless future, traditional passwords probably aren't going anywhere anytime soon. But that doesn't mean that the current password regime of reused passwords and sticky notes can't be improved drastically, including by leveraging some of the advanced security features of smartphones and other consumer electronics that employees now carry with them. Passwords aren't the problem, McMahon says, so much as how we're using them. Start off, I asked Barry about some of the research LastPass has conducted on the password problem in enterprises. Yeah, my name's Barry McMahon. I work at LogMeIn, where my main focus is on our identity offering called LastPass. For those of you that don't know LastPass, 
LastPass is a consumer product and a business product as well. Um, then we also have a single sign-on, so SSO, and we also have multi-factor authentication, MFA, um, which blends together with our password management capability and offers enterprises our identity suite. So at the core of this is uh, identity and authentication, and uh, those are big topics these days. You know, at the core of that is, of course, the password, which has been our go-to authentication technology for whatever it is, 60 years, kind of maybe uh, out, outlived its usefulness or certainly a, a friction point for companies these days, both the, the number, the quantity of passwords, and of course, their security. And um, you've done some research on this last past the last couple of years uh, on password use. Um, talk a little bit about what you discovered. Let me just say something right at the very top of this. Passwords are a pain, um, yeah. you know, hands up. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not here to evangelize the use of passwords in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, no one. You're not going to get much argument on that. I'm not going to get any argument on that. But where I do get a bit of argument back is that I actually don't. I don't see the problem with the concept of passwords. The problem is how we use passwords. Passwords are supposed to be unique. They're supposed to be something only we know, and you're only supposed to use them for you know one access at a time, if you like, or to get into a particular application. Problem is, is that, you know, as humans, we go, oh, I know I can think of a really strong password and I'll be able to remember that password. Nobody else will be able to get it uh, and, and crack it. And so therefore I'll just use it everywhere. Um, and that's, that's really the problem with passwords, right? It's how we use passwords. What we were looking at was, well, how do we get people from using passwords to a passwordless environment, right? And that might kind of seem a little bit counterintuitive because we, provide probably the best known password manager uh, on yeah. the planet, LastPass. Yeah. But the reality is to, that- You're trying to put yourself out of business, Barry. Well, you'd kind of think that, wouldn't you? Um, but no, like the reality is, is that it's about the user experience at the end of the day. Like, you know, we hear fantastic feedback all the time about how easy it is to use our password manager, right? Well, one of the things we're thinking of, well, if it's that easy to use our password manager, why not make it even easier, easier and reduce the number of passwords that people have to have? And, and how do you go about that? Well, you know that passwords are a huge pain for IT, but like they're also a huge pain for the end user, which is something that IT, uh, IT and security professionals and end users actually really agree on. So we commissioned a report uh, earlier in the year called Passwords to Passwordless. And really, we're looking at anything that is aligned to getting rid of the password because it's always such a, such a hot topic. You know, people have professed for the last number of years about having the next greatest thing that's going to kill the password off. And I'm still waiting on them to bring it to market, right? There, there hasn't been anything there that that's going to actually kill the password off as it exists today. And so what we need to do is we need to find out, well, how can we reduce the number of passwords so that we reduce the friction and reduce the pain that IT and different people are, are having, um, and also not impact the user experience, user experience, is the main reason that people will just continue to use uh, weak uh, and repeat usable passwords as well. They just want to get their job done, right? They just want access to a certain application. Because security puts barriers in their way that potentially try to cap catch them out or make things more complex, isn't necessarily making it any easier. If you ask somebody for a 12 character password with you know capitals and underscores and everything else in it, how are they going to remember that if they don't have a password manager? Well, right. they're going to write it. They're going to write it on the post-it note, right? So it's you know they're just substituting one thing for the other. 
And so what we did was we, we, we partnered with a research uh, company called Vance and Bourne. We reached out to over 750 IT and security professionals, and they were from across uh, a wide range of sectors, private and public, and across the US, uh, UK, France, Germany, Australia, Singapore, and so on. And this was, this was kind of a follow-up, if you like, or, or a second element to research that we conducted in, uh, in 2019, which was for uh, one of our other publications, which was called uh, The Guide to Modern Identity. So there's a couple of similarities we've, we've drawn between the two. And one of the things you discovered is that for IT folk working within organizations, um, managing passwords on behalf of their user base is taking up a fairly astonishing amount of their work each week. Yeah, like I, I, I couldn't believe this to be to be honest with you, right? Like, in in twenty nineteen, we found that uh, organizations uh, were spending about four hours, or IT people within an organization were spending about four hours on average per week managing, you know, access credentials and passwords. And in twenty twenty, that went up by an hour, by f- to five hours a week, right? And for me, um, I kind of, I kind of find that a little bit amazing. Um, that yeah, it's not, it's almost a whole day. Well, it's a whole day. It's it's, yeah. it's it's almost a whole day a week, right? And and think about the work that you're not getting done. Um, you know, if if the if the if the security uh, vertical was awash with talent, you'd say, hey, get get somebody to spend five hours uh, per week uh, resetting passwords. Like nobody has ever said that. Um, and this, the talent and skill uh, shortages that are within the vertical at the moment, um, you know, really we should be eradicating that five hours a week and saying, hey, this is five hours a week that we can use and add value elsewhere across the business. Because we know that security professionals are walking out of one job, walking into another job, because there's over 100% uh, in terms of churn and opportunities and all this kind of stuff in the market. So, so there's no barrier to people in security uh, when they want to go find another job. They get snapped up right away. And Security people and IT people are no different than anyone else, right? You want to go where you're going to be adding value, and you're valued. It's pretty, it's pretty, pretty low value task to be getting people to to uh, to reset and and, uh, and and churn out passwords and, and access credentials to people five hours a week. So that's that's a quick win right away, you know, for for IT, and it's a quick win right away for um, for the people uh, within the business. You can automate these things very easily. And to be frank, they'll probably do it a lot better than, than somebody that you're, you're allocating five hours a week to, to do that particular task. So let's let's kind of blow up this concept of passwordless a little bit, because I think people people hear it. I don't mean blow it up, like get rid of it. I mean, blow it up like let's, un, I guess, unpack is probably what I really mean. Let's unpack it a little bit, because um, I think people hear passwordless and they probably think of like minority report or something, you know, where you're just going to walk around and it's going to, you know, scan your biome and be like, oh, yes, it's Paul, which I'm guessing at some point we will get there, but we're not there yet. So when we're talking about passwordless now, what are we talking about? Yeah, it's it's funny because when you when you hear about people removing passwords, it, it, it kind of does feel a bit like the minority report. It's like seems like it's so futuristic. And that's part of the problem with cybersecurity. Um, the, the, you know, for me, there's a big problem around the words cyber and security. Uh, we should just yeah. tell people, we want to make you safe online, right? Just tell yeah. them that. Let's not yeah. use cybersecurity. Use cybersecurity, it's a bit like when I was at school, right? When people talk to me about uh, physics, I just zoned out. I knew it wasn't a conversation I needed to be involved in. <laughs> no relevance to me. So I zoned out, right? You talk about- I just hope your physics teacher is not one of our listeners, Barry. It was it was nothing to do with the teacher. Right, the teacher was right to, an arrow aimed right at the heart. 
Well, uh, well, listen, if this was all on the student, right? This was all on the student. <laughs> yes. But but you know what I mean, right? Uh, when, yeah. when I, like, I talk to some of my friends about cybersecurity and I can see their eyes glazing over as soon as they hear the word cyber. It's yeah. like, this is not a conversation I need to be involved in. It doesn't, it doesn't pertain to me. And so, therefore, I'm not, uh, I'm not a target in this case, which is, which is totally the wrong thing to be doing. I think when we talk about passwordless, I think we need to start at, well, let's not just talk about passwordless. Let's talk about, make it simple. Let's talk about, let's remove as many passwords as we can or mask them or have a way of managing them. And so when I talk about passwords, uh, passwordless, I should say, I talk about in the broadest sense of the word, right? Remove passwords. That's kind of what I'm looking at. And that's that's my that's how I how I think about it. And how do you remove passwords? Well, you can use solutions like SSO, right? If you can if you can if you can put the applications behind a single wall and access them through a single password, right? You can put 20, 30, 40, 50 whatever amount of applications behind that single wall you log in with a password and hey presto you have access to everything that for me is part of the passwordless journey right the other part of the passwordless journey is for everything that can't go sso either you're not on the right tier where sso is available or yeah. it could be a case that sso single sign-on just single sign-on sorry yeah single sign-on uh and or you know you may not be on the tier where single sign-on is available um or you may you may have people who are working in your marketing department, your HR department, or in other departments who are accessing online applications on the on the internet, and so you're not going to put them through SSO. You can't put them through SSO. So what you need to do there is you need to say, well, if you do need to go outside of this perimeter, why not just secure all the passwords that you're using? Let's make them complex. Let's make them unique, um, and let's 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 give you somewhere to store them and somewhere that will auto fill them. When you go to them web pages, therefore you're taking the passwords out of there again. I should also then add, it's also important then to validate who's getting access, and that validation comes, you know, I kind of think of it as the this, the next layer up into your security piece, where yes, you have SSO, yes, you have your password manager to manage your passwords and let you into a whole load of applications, but now you need to challenge that person who's accessing to make sure that they are who they claim to be. And that's where you start seeing the MFA piece come into play. So multi-factor, and that can take a number of different forms. That can take a number of different forms. And this is where the whole complexity and futuristic piece around passwordless starts to come in, right? Because you can have, you can be challenged in a number of different ways. You can be challenged by uh, push notification, you know, accept and approve this access, right? Or you can be, you know, to the other end of the spectrum, you can be uh, challenged by biometric prompt, all right? You know, claim, you know, validate that this claim is correct. And so maybe you might use your um, your facial recognition, depending on what mobile device you're using, or you might use your fingerprint or whatever else um, based on that. And so, th- you know, that's kind of going, if you like, from one end. That's of the where spectrum. the minority report stuff comes in. That's kind of where the minority <laughs> report stuff comes in. The, the reality is, is that, you know, when I explain to people that um, you do know that your MFA piece is, is pretty much just as, you know, it's, it's, it's the same way as you unlock your phone if your phone's capable of a biometric fingerprint or facial uh, recognition. And they go, oh, really? They go, yeah, that's that's how easy it is. I mean, that's what's really interesting is is that, you know, consumer demand and these amazing new products called smartphones that have emerged in the last 15 years have put in everybody's hands a very, a very capable and strong security device that 
that they can use. And yet what's really interesting is, you know, many organizations still yet are not leveraging that um, to improve their own access security. And I think we're seeing that and the evidence of that in the, the news stories now about the Russian hacks on, on U.S. government agencies, high security agencies, many of which have relied on the theft and reuse of credentials to you know, move laterally and, and not only within the government networks, but also out to federated networks, um, you know, cloud-based uh, uh, applications and, and so on. Yeah, like the way I look at uh, multi-factor authentication or a second level of authentication, 2FA, MFA, whichever you want to call it, right? Validating that that person is who they claim to be when they put in a password or use certain credentials is such a simple thing uh, to do in terms of, you know, present that challenge to them. And if they accept it and they validate that they are who they claim to be, um, well, then they're in. And you have a, a significantly higher level of confidence that that is Barry McMahon who is entering the network. Like we continuously see that, you know, in the Verizon's data breach report, you know, that, that more than 80% of data breaches are aligned to poor password hygiene, et cetera, right? Bad actors will get in if they really, 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 really want to get in. You know, they have a lot of resources and we've seen that in the recent press, right? They're going to get in. How do you how do you slow them down, right? How do you make sure that they start setting off alarm bells when they get in there, right? If somebody can get into your network, isn't it better that you have a way and, and they can get access to credentials and stuff like that? Isn't it better that you also have MFA set up that when they pretend to be me moving around your network, that they get challenged for an MFA that they can't, can't meet? And then I get a notification that I didn't request and I report that to IT, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I think your report. I mean, the, the the top concerns that you that your respondents identified were, you know, password reuse, um, you know, leaked passwords and and weak passwords, right? Um, so, I mean, all, you know, all three of those um, very solvable problems ultimately. Hugely solvable problems, as long as the end user has the right tools at their disposal. You know, you mentioned some of the frustrations that IT have with passwords and and and. We also mentioned earlier about them managing passwords now for five hours a week and resetting credentials for five hours a week. Like IT, the, 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 the funny thing about this is that the frustrations, uh, while they're different from uh, IT to employees, they're actually based on the exact same thing, which is the password, right? You know, IT have frustrations around password reuse, password weakness, and then by association, the leaking of company data, right? And then employees are just, just as annoyed and frustrated with having to change passwords regularly, with remembering multiple passwords, and trying to remember long and complex passwords, which, let's be honest, without the right tools at the disposal, end up on the post-it note under the keyboard or sure. on the screen, right? So let's look into the crystal ball. Where do we end up, um, Barry, you know, uh, five five or ten years from now? I mean, do we um, do we get to a place where we really aren't, you know, dealing with uh, alphanumeric passwords anymore? Or is it really just a matter of just greater adoption of, you know, as, as you've laid it out, kind of a variety of technologies that, that each kind of lifts, uh, lifts the bar a little bit? Well, Paul, if, if, if I told you that and it came true, well, then, you know, you'd be a richer man than me because you'd remember <laughs> that I said it. So what's in the immediate future? Well, of the people we surveyed, right, 92% believe that uh, passwordless authentication is in their organization's future. And they use future in inverted commas, right? But 85% say passwords are not going away completely. 
And 85% believe there would be a combination of passwordless and password management in the future, right? And so like, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of like saying, well, yeah, we're going to keep passwords and we're going to move to passwordless. And it, it kind of is the truth, right? You know, passwords are so ingrained in everything that we do right now because it's it's such a common practice everywhere in the world, right? You know, nearly every website you go on to, if you want to register, what's the two things they're going to ask you for? A username and a password. So it's it's this universal language of registration. It's this universal language of validate who you claim to be. That doesn't mean to say that enterprises have to stay on that route. All right. So into the future, what do we see in organizations setting themselves up for? Yeah. Um, and so so how do you make sure that whoever's accessing, you know, is is doing it in the right manner? And uh, so that's that's managing the passwords, you know you then evolve to removing the passwords for all the same reasons that I said in the past. There will be passwordless in the future, but there's also going to be some tech debt there that organizations are will have deployed that just won't be able to go passwordless in whatever shape or form that really takes. Um, you know, everybody was supposed to go to the cloud by now, right? And, and there's organizations that just, it doesn't make sense for them to go to the cloud based on previous investments. Applications they have just won't run in the cloud. Things just don't perform the way they expect them to perform in the cloud, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so looking down the line 10 to 15 years time, I think, I think on one hand, you're going to see a lot more passwords uh, from the consumer side of things. From the enterprise side of things, I think you're going to see a lot less passwords but I think the passwords that you will see will be extremely valuable and will need to be protected really well. And how are the enterprises going to get there? There's two ways they're going to get there. One is by focus on the end user and user experience. And two is by awareness and security training. Can't throw stuff over the wall anymore and hope that people are going to use it. Uh, Barry McMahon of uh, LogMeIn and LastPass, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on the Security Ledger podcast. Pleasure, Paul. Can't wait till we catch up again. Barry McMahon is a senior global product marketing manager at LastPass and logged me in. He was here talking to us about research LastPass has done on password use in organizations. Mm-hmm.